talk about a movie that came out 30 years ago this week and this week we are talking about adrian lynn's jacob's ladder starring tim robbins and elizabeth pina and uh danny aiello where tim robbins uh is a uh, vietnam veteran living in new york experiencing what seems like uh, a kind of hallucinogenic post-traumatic stress uh disorder due to his time in Vietnam, obviously, there's some twists, and it's a little bit different than that. Uh, in its own way, it's 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 kind of a classic. It's a movie that I grew up thinking was the scariest movie ever made when I was a, a little kid. I just don't think I had seen it. Yeah, I don't think I like all the way that really? the, those faces were shaking and the blank faces and the eyes covered. I think that was my first experience with horror like that. Whereas all of my experience prior to that was like Freddy or Chucky, you know, like Boogeyman rather than just sort of like disturbing uh abstract images um and so uh yeah i really like this movie um chris had you seen this movie before uh before what settling down to watch it Uh, I had not seen it before, you know, and I think literally up until the moment I looked it up on Amazon, I had it somehow mixed up with my left foot in my head. Like I thought for some reason, I thought of those two movies together, like adult movies from the early nineties that seemed vaguely scary to me. Um, and, but of course this movie does not star, uh, Daniel J. Lewis, you know, which I thought until maybe Sunday of last week, but Tim Robbins is the title character. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I hadn't seen it before. And it's funny because you were texting me about, like, you said, oh, it doesn't really read as scary anymore. Yeah. It reads as, like, sad. And I was thinking, yeah, it does. I mean, there are some scenes that are creepy. Like you're saying, this, so there's these great, like, faceless demons and, like, subway cars going by, like, full of people, like, looking out the doors. Like, that's really creepy and weird. 
but like mostly it's just a, about a, a sad thing about a guy whose like son got hit by a car and he's really sad about it and like he's sad he broke up with his like wife that he liked and also he's sad he's not nice who's kind of to mean to him girlfriend. while at the same time taking care of him in uh in some ways and also right yeah he's starting to experience um a psychotic breakdown where he's halluc- he's having he's suffering from delusions or seemingly delusions we don't know but like according to this woman in his life you know there's a great moment in the film where um he's just had a breakdown and had a fever where like they had to pour him in ice to get rid of the fever and then the next day he's he's he or not the next day it's like 2 weeks later he's wandering around the apartment in his robe and she is trying to tell him to go outside and you know it's been two weeks and she can't take it anymore and she kind of gets in his face and when she gets in his face all of a sudden her eyes go black and i think her teeth get fang like and he stands up and he pushes her against the wall and says what are you and she's terrified and angry with him and he's suddenly terrified and angry with who he's become and it's actually a really good depiction of what i imagine PTSD can kind of feel like, you know, who are these people? What are they to me? It's like, what can happen when you have a certain kind of brain damage where you are viewing people differently than who they were prior to that brain damage happening and you by them in your life. And so there are scenes like that where it's kind of like, you just, what's so scary is that it's really, it's a sad situation that this guy finds himself in. And I thought Tim Robbins was really good at, at, I playing that. He is Tim Robbins is great in this movie, right? Like <clears throat> I guess this is kind of a transition moment for Tim Robbins and and it kind of has and we're kind cuz in the 80s Tim Robbins was supposed to be hot. <laughs> like this is like like in Bull Durham, right? He's like hot. Like he keeps getting like women are attracted to him and he gets he's has a bunch of parts like this and then in the middle mid to later 90s he's becomes like a smart old weird asshole murderer kind of person. Um, so in this movie, he's like acting and doing a lot of grown up interesting things. And also, um, but also every woman he, who sees him seems to want to have sex with him. And I don't know if that's supposed to be because the movies have taking place in his mind or if that is the point of view of the film. I, I wasn't quite sure, but like he does definitely seem like, cause there's a bunch of party scenes and you know, everyone is always flirting with him. Every woman who sees him is like in love with him. Esapatha Murkison shows up to read his palm in this one scene. And it's a great scene. Cause she's like, Oh, see this, is your lifeline, you're already dead. <laughs> but it's like, she's, but she's also flirting with him the whole time. And she's like, let me see those blue eyes before you go. It's but like, how so could it's you, ridiculous. How could you not flirt with him and at I the couldn't... beginning of the movie before he really starts going crazy? I mean, we see him losing it a little bit right at the top. But then when he's at this party, when he's with, his, with, when he's with Elizabeth Pena, he's incredibly charismatic and, 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 and charming. You kind of forget that Tim Robbins was like, I mean, the player came out, I think, a year after this movie. And it's like, this is... Tim yeah. Robbins kind of at the height of his powers. Yeah, he's got like a big mop top head of hair and he's got these like circular glasses and he's like, you know, wearing a cool jacket and he's like, oh, hey, everybody. People keep flirting with he's him. A he's, like, oh, okay. he's a mailman. He's a mailman. He's a mailman, I, which I loved. I loved the, the portrayal of him as a, uh, they did something very specific with the portrayal of him, like economics, like socioeconomically, where he's just seems like a guy who's doing fine. 
which I thought was very interesting and you don't see very often in the movies. Like they didn't make it look like he was like super poor and his life was like a mess, but they also didn't make it look like, you know, he was rich. He was just like a guy who had a job where he made an okay amount of money and, and isn't this... seemed fine. And I thought that was really interesting actually. Movie, which is something that I didn't even remember it as is a great New York movie. It is. Yes, it's a great New York movie. He spent so much time in New York. Well, I even like so, you know, as I may or may not have mentioned previously, the whole movie was inspired by the screenwriter having a dream about being stuck in a subway station. And that is kind of one of the first things that happens in the movie. It's like his purgatory. He's stuck in the subway station. He keeps going to exits. They're all locked. And then trains are coming by and the trains are full of weirdos. And it's like just the kind of stuff you think about if you're in New York. Or he actually wakes up on the subway train, right? And the car is deserted. And he walks into the next train and he's trying to ask this old lady, like, what stop they're at? And she just looks at him and doesn't say anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, that's pretty New York. Yeah, that is. I mean, yeah, that would maybe Yeah, happen. there's that scene. And then there's that wonderful <laughs> moment where he's walking down the street and those five girls sing uh, Mr. Postman to him. Yeah, Such Mr. Postman. a great <laughs> moment in this movie. And also the way Adrian Lin shoots New York. You know, he shoots it beautifully. He's one of those cl- yeah. like classic filmmakers who needs all the, every street to be wet and like something billow- billowing smoke yeah. out of the background. Uh, it's very like, and it's supposed to be set in 1971 or 72 or something. And it's like, so the subway car is like full of trash, you know, and there's everything is like very dressed, you know, it's very like 1972 really? New what York. I like, and I thought actually pretty good. It was pretty good. Like about the, you way know? That it, the way that it takes place in like 70, 71 or 72 is that it doesn't go too far with it. Like it, it, it right, also looks right, like right, it I could agree. take place in the eighties. Right. It just kind of, but it, but it, but it is at the same time actually doing a good yeah. job of being period, which I think is great. You know, it just seems casual. It's not like going way over the top or like everyone has huge afros or something, you know, or they're, I mean, I guess they do sing Mr. Postman, but like, that's just the song people know. And it, cause he's a mailman, you know, but then eventually you're like, oh yeah, that would be like a recent song at the time. Also, yeah. But even if not a recent song, I mean, when I was in like middle school in the 90s i knew mr postman like that's a like everybody had of course yeah me too song. i did too yeah so do you want to talk just real quick do you want to real quick go through what the actual plot of the movie is yeah or yeah, not look, we don't have I mean, to if that's what you want to do chris you fucking douchebag yeah let's do it. go 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 ahead chris do you God. want chris chris do you want to well, talk it, about what this movie's about Hey, so like real quick, just to run it down, okay, guys? And let me just say, we love this stuff. Um, so the movie, oh, yeah. So it has a, he, it starts off in Vietnam, okay? Vietnam, Tim Robbins is in Vietnam. They are, um, and then his crew is Eric LaSalle from ER, which is Rules, and Ving Rames, who I don't even think had a credit in the top of the movie. Maybe he did and I missed it. And then a few other people who gives a shit. But I was very excited to see Eric LaSalle and Ving Rhames. And so they're the, like, crew in Vietnam, right? And they're all hanging out and busting each other's chops. They keep calling Tim Robbins professor because he has glasses, I guess, you know? And they're like, yo, you taking another shit, professor? Oh, damn. (laughs) And then uh, they're smoking pot. And then they start going, man, that's some strong stuff. And then they're like, oh, there's an attack. Okay, and so there's a big attack. And then um, some of the guys who smoke the pot start going like crazy and like flopping out and flopping around. And then we see Tim Robbins get stabbed and then he wakes up on the subway train in New York City. And then it's like, he's now, he's a Vietnam veteran. 
and he's living in New York. He's got this hot wife and or hot girlfriend that he lives with, but he used to be married, and we find out. You know, then it's basically like this whole thing about him as a Vietnam veteran, and it's like his his what happened to them in Vietnam, and him dealing with his ex-wife, and dealing with the trauma of one of his kids dying, and it's all like doled out very gradually in this way, and there's all these kind of flashbacks back and forth between those, and then it's like there's some kind of government conspiracy maybe, um, but then at the same time we're seeing Tim Robbins like get found in the jungle and then get put on a helicopter and then the fucking helicopter pilot gets shot and it's like interspersed with all of that. So, I mean, the, the, the trick of the movie or whatever, the like twist is that it's all been happening in his head while he's dying and having not seen it, but knowing that was the only thing I knew about it. I always thought that was like kind of a twist, like a, like an M night Shyamalan kind of twist, but they was very early. You can figure out that that is what's going on. I mean, they pretty much explicitly show you that's what's happening. So it's it's not really a twist. Like that is what you're supposed to think is going on, and then it's like as the movie goes on, it's like more psychological, and it's like him going to the afterlife. He has to first deal with his issues on Earth, and you know it's a fucking like ghost kind of it's the right? same writer. Um, yeah, he's a really? ghost. Oh shit, that's yeah. crazy. It is. It's like yeah, ghost, it's right? Absolutely, because both came out in the same year. Both are about someone you know in in, in the in between. Yeah, dealing with the issues in life to pass on to the next side. Yeah. <laughs> like that is literally what this. Although about. I would say that this one um, is a bit more complex and 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 interesting oh, yeah. than 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 Ghost. Ghost is still to me like I mean a children's I sort of, movie. Yeah, Ghost is like a children's movie or like an like an after. But with like special. more but like this movie, I kind of stop myself. It's so much happens in this movie. I mean, there's so much going on. There's so much character detail. It's like crazy. There's so much like character detail of like other characters and like it's so much world building and there's like a whole thriller aspect plot to it. It's really like there's like a lot going on in this movie. And it's I thought it was like really entertaining. I really liked it. Um, how much did you love Danny Aiello in this movie? Oh my God, Danny Aiello as the angelic chiropractor. When he comes busting into the hospital to take Tim Robbins out of there. Oh my God, he busts Tim Robbins out of the hospital. And it's like, what, what is this, the Dark Ages? <laughs> you got him strapped up in here like this. Ah, and he's picking up like a cane. He's like, you take one step closer and I swear to God, I'll crush your skull. Oh. <laughs> uh, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that was all fucking crazy. He's so good. I mean, same uh, one year after Do the Right Thing. I like that. Like quintessential New York actor. I love Danny Aiello in this in this movie. He's so good. He's um, so good. What did you like, Elizabeth Pena? Uh, his his girlfriend. Um, oh, you know, man. in the 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 purgatory that he's in is a strange. Even though she's not necessarily a real character or a real person, but some sort of like unconscious figment. Of his, of 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 his, she's oddly like not particularly nice to him, or is that str- or is that strength? I had trouble, you know, when he's like freaking out and sick, and she's like, "I'm not gonna stand by you if you're gonna go crazy. Like, you go crazy somewhere else." Uh, and then when she throws yeah, well, away, that... she throws away the photo of his dead son in the beginning of the movie. Oh, no. She goes, I don't like things that make you sad. And she, <laughs> so she like burns all the photos of his dead he son. Secretly burns all the photos of his dead child. That's I mean, that's a fucked up thing to that's do. Fucked. 
I mean, I feel like this is one of those movies where like there's a book about what everybody represents and I'm sure that's like she represents something, you know. But I will say just to me as a viewer, like, yeah, I thought she was a really interesting, complex character for a made-up sex girlfriend. And there was even the kind of thing in it, like, like say I left my wife to go fuck the woman, the, the sexy lady that worked next to me at the post office. There's this whole dynamic built into it where it's like, he loves his crazy, sexy new girlfriend, but also, like, she's not as nice as his actual wife that he left. His poor, like, obviously more homely, but also, like, very caring and supportive, and she's there for him and, you know, seems to understand him in a better way, you know. And it's like, why is this Why is this all in here? It's so complex. Everything in this movie is very complex. And it was fascinating, you know? Well, that's also... It was not what I was expecting. It wasn't what I was expecting. What's so interesting is that I grew up thinking that that movie didn't make sense. That Jake... Like, I grew up thinking that, like, it's very scary, but it doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's it's a, it's just a bunch of random images. Um, but yeah. now, like, obviously watching that's... it as an adult, like, it's a very clear narrative. <laughs> it's very clear and sense. there is some cool stuff like the like hell's kind of stuff like you're talking about like there's you were talking about him being in the hospital there's this really terrifying sequence where he like it's like a beautiful mind like these two guys in black suits pull him into a car and then he, they're beating him up and he gets out but then he gets taken to this hospital that's like there's like severed limbs on the floor and like people are all filthy and they're like licking at the walls and the doctor like the nurse doesn't have any eyes and the doctor's like you've been killed don't you remember and he's like well have i and he's like well where else do you think you are like and, and he drills into his head like that was all that was a scary sequence i could see if i was a little kid and seeing that i would have lost my fucking mind that was like very scary you know i wonder do you think that this is the one of the better if not maybe the best example of it was all a dream actually working in a movie yes yes i think it works Yes. It, that 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 never works in a movie or a TV show, but this entire this entire movie the is built around that, and therefore it becomes a like a very satisfying resolution. Yeah, because I think, like I was saying, like if you're an adult watching it, right, they telegraph very early, like this is a dream. It's like he's engaged in some kind of dream battle, you know, and you're supposed to be understanding it on that level, you know. Yeah. So I think that is why it works because they don't save it until the end and then say, oh, oh, and it was a dream. It's like, well, they kind of do, though. I mean, they tell save it for like 40 minutes into the movie, I would say. Really? When when I mean, the I final know, just when they start showing him back in Vietnam, like I think I mean, maybe it's just because I knew maybe it's just because I knew. But once I started seeing that stuff, I was like. And then they start saying like, oh, you're dead. You know, people are and there's all sorts of crazy things happening like, you know. Yeah, but I mean the final the final shot of the movie or the final the final scene of the movie is uh is I mean it, it becomes literal. They say very clearly that he has been right, on a hospital yeah. bed dying this whole time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so I mean I guess maybe if you weren't picking up on it until the very end, I mean right, I did have the benefit of knowing it going into it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you know what we haven't mentioned about this movie is the absolutely Amazing acting job done by Macaulay Culkin, who plays oh my God. the yes. son, Tim Robbins' son who dies. Macaulay Culkin, and I will say what's very interesting about this performance by Macaulay Culkin, like, so this is the same year Home Alone comes out. Home, we're doing it, in a, it's in a couple weeks Home Alone comes out, okay? Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, he seems to be about 
six years older than he is in Jacob's Ladder. And I think he's like playing five, you know, like he's doing a great job of acting like a littler kid than he really is. And he's great in the movie. He's so fucking lovable. Like he's he's always going like, "Hey, daddy," and like making a cute face. He's daddy, got like, will, you, will you tuck me in? Tuck me in, daddy. I want daddy to tuck me in. Did you when when the when the photo uh, first comes up of um uh, of Macaulay Culkin, like Tim Robbins pulls it out of the box that's been delivered of all the photos, and he looks at it and she in in. He's like, it's my son. And then they cut to the photo and it's Macaulay Culkin. Did that take you out of the... For me, it took oh, me yes. like out of... 100%. It's like not the, not the movie's fault at all because they would have no idea what Macaulay Culkin would become. But like, I immediately was like, what? What I went, fuck? Macaulay Culkin, oh my God. I was like so excited. Uh, and then there were so many scenes with him and he was so good. He was like a remarkable actor. I thought he was doing a really, really good job. I really wanted it to just be the photo and have no scenes with Macaulay because I thought it would be so funny if he exists in that movie only as a photo. Oh my God. Well, I will say as a parent, one of my favorite parts of Macaulay Culkin is, so they introduce this photo of Macaulay Culkin early and then they, they tell you like, oh, your his kid died and we're seeing Macaulay Culkin in these flashbacks. And then, yeah, so Macaulay Culkin says, tuck me in, daddy. He takes him to tuck him in. And then you hear another fucking voice. This motherfucker's got three other kids. In the, that was as a parent that reveal. I was like, "What? Another kid? Oh, and another kid? Oh my god! And I, and there's a fucking another one. He's got so many goddamn children." And that was the most all, horrifying part of the movie to me. All sleeping in the same room. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, I guess that was maybe coded a little bit as they were poor that they had to all be sleeping in the same room. But that's when he but was like rich. Seem- he had like a big house at that point. But they seemed happy and like, you know, they didn't seem like they were, I mean, they had a big house. They had like, like a townhouse off Bergen Street in 1970. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's, you know, or 71. That's a, a little bit, a mailman could probably live there off, off, off that at that time. Um, the, uh, the, with the thing with um, Macaulay Culkin, uh, when, sorry, I completely lost track. Um, you fucking the scene where t- dozy motherfucker! Like you need to get your head out of your ass, and you need to get tired. with it. Okay. The scene where uh, Tim Robbins has to like he has a high fever and he gets a gla- ice poured all over him and he has to sit in the cold bath. Uh, in the morning when he wakes up, uh, and Elizabeth Pena is talking to him, she's like, "You were talking in your sleep. You were talking the entire night in your sleep and in the bath. You were talking to your wife and to your sons." And then she goes, even the dead one. <laughs> like, what a, like, it, it, what an insensitive way to put it. But that's even her character. That's what's so great about her character. Why is that her character? I don't know, but it's genius. <laughs> even the dead like, one. <laughs> like, I mean, there had to have been a conversation oh on the set about, like, about that line. Like, you know, I imagine an actress would be like, so she says even the dead one here that seems a little insensitive. Am I, am I, is that what you I'm want? I'm like mad How at him my- also. Like I'm relieved that he survived, but I'm mad at him for putting me through this. And so I'm kind of getting in a dig at him. Like that has, that's a very intentional line. Yeah. Even the dead one. Because obviously she's, ha- this is after the whole thing where she burned the photo of the kid and like screamed yeah. at him like she didn't like things making him sad. And then she's like, are you even talking to your fucking stupid dead kid who's rotting in the ground? 
And then there was this other aspect where, like, she wouldn't... Re- that happened early in the movie that where she wouldn't, like, remember his friend's name. Oh, I forgot right? about who, that. Like, I forgot about I completely dr- forgot the, about the, that. In the beginning of the movie, the, someone someone named Eli drops off the photos, who I think is... is I, I don't remember exactly who Eli is in the rest of the movie, but... Um, but he, like she keeps being like whatever his name is and he's like his name is eli and she goes yeah whatever that guy's name is and he's like eli <laughs> i just said it was eli for god's sakes i mean maybe this is actually a case of like this character is written as being like the awful hot wife that he left his beautiful pure wife for but elizabeth but the actress is doing such a good job with the character and has brought so much to it that you like don't notice but if it was somebody else, it would be like way worse. Oh yeah, like if somebody really like played up the viciousness. Yeah, like I'm the bitchy new girlfriend and I'm hot. I mean, she does spend like the first three scenes she's in the movie with her shirt off. Like, but I do think it's done very well because I think when you're in a couple, like yeah, some you're sometimes you're talking while the other person's getting dressed. It didn't seem gratuitous to me, honestly. And also, they just kind of no, not at all. <clears throat> they make her seem like the kind of person who would like want to sit around in the house with a dress like three buttons undone like because it's not like she has like huge tits that are like falling out of it it just seems like comfortable for her to have the dress unbuttoned like that because it's hot you know the scene where the first like real freak out scene where tim robbins kind of has a breakdown at this party after he gets his fortune told um he's watching her dance with somebody that turns into like a tentacled demon that uh, then shoves a horn from the like through the back of her head up into her mouth. Oh, but first he's like um, fucking her with a tentacle or something. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's like basically it's like she's getting raped by Satan. Yeah. Uh, it, which it seems like that's what it what's what's happening. Um, was terrifying to me when I was younger. Uh, at this age, I think because I've seen it many times, I was just kind of like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm an old weirdo, I was like, I love this shit. Uh, what did you, you, that's your first time seeing that scene. What did you think of that? Well, I thought that, you know, the movie, it's, I mean, it's really interesting as much as, because at the exact same time, it has all these very adult psychological things going on that are just like, these kind of like Stephen Kingy, like The Shining is really about being a recovering alcoholic kind of stuff, you know, where it's very much just like real problems. But then there are these like fantastic horror elements that happen pretty regularly throughout the movie. I mean, they're almost spaced like action sequences in an action movie, right? Where it's like every 25 minutes or so or or less, something like that happens to kind of like jolt you in your seat. And then there's like, you know, 30 minutes of emotional drama or something, you know? But like, um, yeah. they're all really good. So which is what scene, a good, which is which is what a good horror movie should be. A good horror movie or a good thriller, like an actual, uh, like good movie that's trying to tell a story rather than, you know, the kind of horror movies that I watch all the time on my own that are just sort of like, <laughs> blood guts and gore um should be exactly as you described which should be like 30 minutes of drama 30 35 minutes of drama punctuated by something that 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 happens that is tearing apart the fabric of the character and then third and then more drama because those those moments will have you know a greater uh, will have a, a a greater meaning for for you as you're yeah. Watching. So I mean, so what what I think about that scene? I mean, I thought it was fucking real scary and it was real weird and it was you know it was like a really well done like you're like oh reality is all coming apart you know everything's all crazy uh, and it's like he's he, Tim Robbins is doing a good job 
you know, what I, to me personally, I think one of the hardest things as an actor to do is that kind of like, everything's crazy kind of thing and not make it look like so campy and stupid. I mean, cause it's, it's hard. And I think he's doing a very good job of being like, Oh, what a crazy dance party. <laughs> but you know, but he's like completely selling it. You would never for a second, it doesn't take you out of it at all. And I think it would be so easy for that to go a different way. <laughs> you know, like I was like hats off to him in that scene. The, he, the scene where he's getting chased down by that car in what looks like it looks like under the Brooklyn Bridge or something or or the even the Brooklyn Bridge I'm not sure where exactly that is where that car is trying yeah to run yeah him down. or it's one of those like faceless parts of Manhattan or something where there's all those weird bridges like on the upper like 130th Street or something oh that's true like or, or even like on the west like yeah. on the west side over on like 16th and 11th or something that actually seems more more correct um is like that because that that could that could be over there especially yeah when there was literally nothing nothing there there, like empty warehouses yeah um the face that is made in the car as it like passes him by that that sort of blank face was the most terrifying thing i think i had ever seen when i first saw the movie when i was the one where it's like the face like the one the car that drives after the car is trying to kill him and misses him or something yeah, it drives by oh and there's a face God. in the back. That was seat. scary to me now. Yeah, I thought that, that like, was scary. Yeah. You're like, I mean, but it's that fear of like when you're a kid of being like which is so great about the horror in this movie is that they don't try to explain why the demon right. looks this way or what the demon is or anything like that. They just kind of throw in scary images and are and are like, he's having a breakdown. This is what he would potentially see. It doesn't need to be explained, which is Helps it be scary. Okay, so I feel like we're nearing the end of the show, and I and I want to before we get to the questions, I do want to bring up something, which is like, so as much as I'm peeping praise on this movie, I do think some things about it are weird. Okay, so basically, what we're given to understand is that Tim Robbins he's been dying and he's having this whole trip, right? He's been having this whole thing where he's, you know, his brain is firing, whatever. But it's like inside of the dream. He's researching what could have happened to his unit, and it's supposed to be that they were poisoned with psychedelic drugs that made them kill each other. And he's learning this from, like, a scientist. Okay, so, like, I sort of thought this was, like, you know, like, metaphorical or something, right? He's, like, investigating the the cause of what's happening to him, and this is what... But then the, the movie ends with a title card that's, like, in Vietnam... You know, the CIA reportedly experimented on soldiers with psychedelic drug, DZ. The CIA denies it. So you were like, wait, is that supposed to be what really happened to him? Because they do show him at a certain point, like, remembering getting stabbed, and it was by another guy that was, like, another American soldier. And then, like, you know, of course, the thing that I mentioned at the beginning where they're smoking pot, and they're like, oh, this is some strong shit. But, like... That when I saw that title card, it completely threw the rest of the movie into like a muddle for me because I was like, wait, so is that what's supposed to have really happened to him? And does that mean that somehow he found this out in his mind during what I guess was a trip he was having before he died? Yeah, I mean that 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 isn't really worked out. That's true. I mean that makes the movie stupid. I think if it wasn't for that, I would be. And if this is you, I didn't get to watch all of them, but the deleted scenes you sent me. Could you tell me tell 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 us about these these deleted scenes? Oh, there's a there's a few deleted scenes where um, 
One of them in, uh, specifically is um, when Tim Robbins meets the guy who is telling him about the drug testing on him. Um, uh, a very well-known character actor whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, that He goes back to that guy's apartment with him and that guy tells, put, gives him an antidote for what's going on. And the antidote he gives that him... Um, He's like, just lay here. I'm going to give you the antidote. And it's going to be a little like wild at first. And Tim Robbins lays on a bed and looks at the ceiling and the ceiling starts breaking apart. And this like demon's eyeball and tentacles start coming out of the ceiling and blood starts falling out, like pouring out of a, a lamp onto his face. And it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool looking scene, but it's also long and it, it makes sense that they that, 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 that yeah they because like it. what is that supposed to be telling you exactly like what is that what does it mean that he has the cure and what does it mean that the cure makes all of that happen like what is that supposed to be saying well I think it what it was supposed to be is that this is him um, engaging further with um, the hallucinations so thereby, thereby like starting starting to combat them more. Or making peace like with knowing them that way, you're in a maybe. dream and therefore it's you not... can have more control over the dream, that kind of thing. Yeah, because it's not long after that that he then climbs the stairs. Right, okay. with and this son. is again exactly like Ghost. Like we're saying, like his son is like, "Come on, Dad, come up here with me," and into the blind, ascend a staircase into a blinding white light. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that is the end of the yeah. movie. I mean, it really. I, I really wonder how Ghost was written at the same time as, as as this, and like, if someone read Jacob's Ladder, like, which was written first, and if someone read Jacob's Ladder and was like, gave notes on it that like completely changed what the movie could be, and then he wrote Ghost, or he had been writing Ghost and someone gave notes on it. And he completely changed what it would be. And came well, it's interesting new, you say that because this movie. thing you sent me, this like featurette or whatever from the VHS tape of this movie or something, like um, they say that this movie, Jacob's Ladder, was on the blacklist for like a long time. So it, it, you're totally, you're right. It totally makes sense that it would be like somebody was like, oh, we love your cool script for Jacob's Ladder, but it's like a little crazy for us. You think you could do something like kind of like that, but you know, a little not so crazy. And then that became Ghost. I mean, I completely could see that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think, um, but like, what if it was the other way around and someone someone read Ghost and was like, eh, I wish this was more of a thriller. It's kind of... No, it's it's got to be the other way because of the lame, thing of it being on the blacklist and all that stuff, you know? Oh, that's true. That's true. I wonder, I mean, remember that Jerry Zucker directed Ghost, the director of, like, uh, Airplane... <laughs> And it might have been maybe he read Jacob's Ladder and was like, and 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 was like, it's too scary. <laughs> okay, we can still have ghosts and all this kind of crazy kooky stuff. <laughs> He's gonna need a better love interest. What if there's like a kooky dame? <laughs> Chris, what yeah. was your favorite part of this movie? Uh, well, Ricky, I got two, th I got two things. Uh, one of them is the stuff we've been, and it's ball stuff we've been talking about, but like, I got my favorite things are definitely like the horror stuff I thought was really well done. I thought it was really well done because it's, it's in this kind of style where you don't quite see it a hundred percent. Like it's there's strobe lights or it's in a car that's driving by or a subway car. And so you just see it like quickly. And I thought that was really well done. It was really scary. It scared me. I've talked a lot about 
I'm a good boy. I thought it was really scary and it was real creepy and all this gross hospital stuff where there's arms and legs on the floor and stuff. Oh, anyway, I thought all this, all that stuff was really good. And I and I also liked how many great '90s character actors were in this movie. It was absolutely oh amazing. So, I love so seeing all of them. Like it was the movie is fucking stacked. Oh, and that guy, by the way, you're trying to think of his, it's Matt Craven is his name. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And he, also in A Few Good Men, X-Men, First Class, Crimson Tide. Yes. Yes. He's such a, he's stunk su- town, of course. He, he's such a 90s character actor face. When you like, see his face, you just recognize him immediately and you're like, oh, this guy. And he's great. And then you, and, and then you've got Eric LaSalle from yeah. ER. You've Eric got doing Rains. his thing. Oh, he has, he has this great scene where he has to tell Tim Robbins they're not going to join his class action suit. And it's just like real oh devastating. And then you have Jason Alexander as yes, the lawyer. Yes, Jason Alexander is in this movie. We didn't even talk about him as this like lawyer, this who doesn't give a shit, you know? Hmm. Who is also like, there? you know, the thing about Jason Alexander is that he works so well in fucking Seinfeld, right? I mean, iconic character. But when you put him in other things, he's really strange. And he doesn't <laughs> like he's very he's very actorly. Like it makes sense that he would work on a sitcom, but as soon as you put him in a movie, it's a little he 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 just feels very actorly. Well, it's very like stage. Know? He's like a stage actor. Yes. It's very stagey. Like, you know, there's yeah. I think there's a scene in this movie where he like jerks his arm away from somebody and he goes, Watch out, man. <laughs> you know, like, no, he like jerks his arm away and he goes, Excuse me, sir. Like <laughs> But I do, I liked, I mean, maybe it's just because it's George from Seinfeld, the guy who's famous from Seinfeld, but it's, it is fun to see him in the movie. And he also still has the front part of his hair, which is nice and, and interesting to see just as a hair historian. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, what other, what other, I mean, Elizabeth Pena, uh, Macaulay yeah. Culkin. Um, uh, Ving Rhames, like I was saying, is in it, yeah. Right. Ving, Ving Rames, isn't it? Danny Aiello. Danny Aiello, uh, exactly. It's I mean Tim Robbins, and exa- cap- like we were saying, capturing this exact moment of Tim Robbins, which there aren't, I don't know, that many movies of. It's very, very cool and weird. I feel like, um, I, I, I feel like uh, Danny Aiello, there's, my two favorite parts of this movie are Danny Aiello and the fact that it's such a New York movie. Yeah. Um, because I, do, I didn't remember it specifically taking place in New York and it very much takes place in New York. And there's a specific scene where when she has to soak Tim Robbins in the hot tub and she's banging on all her neighbor's oh, yeah. doors. And in most movies, like none of the neighbors would show up, right? Like they, it would be like, help, help. And the neighbor, it would be like a, um, that, it, that situation where the, you know, someone thinks that somebody, the diffusion of responsibility where somebody else will help. Right, but right. All the neighbors pour out of their apartment and they all pick Tim Robbins up and are soaking him in the tub. And I was like, this is so great. This is New York. Like, is, this is real New This is what New York is really dude, like. Dude, you're totally right. And all the neighbors are all different types of people and they're all like yes. in their pajamas or underwear and they're all helping him anyway. That is, you're totally right. That's exactly what New York is like and you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't think that. You know, you, it's, you don't see it enough in movies. It's great. And then Danny Aiello is just so amazing when he comes to save him in the hospital and is yelling oh at everybody. He just, I mean, he literally there telling him literally he's in hell and he seems to be like yes. in a really bad place. And Danny Aiello, again, the angelic chiropractor comes in and re- bellowing at everyone and kicking people out of the way and rescues him. And it's, yeah, it's great. It's so great. You're so glad to see him. Um, Chris, what is the most, you kind of already said it by bringing up all of the actors that appear, but 
for you, what's the most '90s thing about this? Well, movie? Ricky, I actually, as much as the actors are great and very '90s, one of the things I think is the most '90s is the way that it prefigures the 1990s obsession with being hounded by a government conspiracy. I feel like this is a very early example of that. And I mean, obviously, this was a thing in the 70s as well. It's a post-Watergate kind of thing, the parallax view, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of movies like this in the 70s. But I think you cannot say that this was not a major preoccupation of the 90s, you know, from the X-Files through to the Pelican Brief and the Net and Enemy of the State and blah, 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 a million of these things. And this it, it, is like just a kind of an element that's buried in among a hundred other elements of this movie. But there's a point where they're like, you know, trying to get people to join their class action suit about the government conspiracy. And I was like, yeah, this is like the next 10 years of, of culture. Definitely. Um. <laughs> I feel like that's all like, that was all Tim Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> Like in the in in Jacob Slider, like I wonder if the the BZ stuff it was like even there, or even if it was Tim Robbins was like like advocated hard for them to put up that title card at the end of this at the end of the movie that said this stuff was actually tested oh on soldiers. As you can imagine it Tim; he's in like all these meetings that, and he's going, "Hey, you know, the crazy thing is this actually happened," and they're like, "Yeah, hey, yeah, it's true, it's true, Tim." But he he <laughs> says it. We got to let people know. We got to put it in the movie. I mean, what are we making this movie for if not to educate people about the CIA? What is this movie really about? It's about educating people about the CIA, you know? And it gets more and more serious until it's like his lawyer is telling the studio's lawyer that, like, there has to be a title card or he will not participate in the film or something. Um, so. And what did you think the most Chris, 90s part of it was? Oh, I thought, did I not answer? If you answered, I wouldn't have fucking asked you, Ricky. Like, I, are you listening to me? I said to you, in a very friendly way, what is your most 90s part of this movie? My fa- I mean, my the most 90s thing for me is, is t- Tim Robbins. I mean, Tim, this is the beginning of peak Tim Robbins in the 90s. Like, right after, you know, before this, yeah, you've got Bull Durham and you've got Top Gun. So you've got Jacob's Ladder in 1990. You've got Jungle Fever in 91. The Player in 92. Bob Roberts mm. in 92. Shortcuts in 93. The Hudsucker Proxy Ooh. in 94. Shawshank, dude, mm. Shawshank in 94. Arlington Road yeah. in 99. Oh, that's a big jump, really. Is that a, is that he didn't do anything for six years or five years? Uh, I skipped over... Uh, I mean, he... Had a big year in '94, and then he didn't make anything until '97, and then and then he didn't make anything until '99. Just like 99. producing some stuff, you I know, mean, I think, like working on some campaigns. No, I, I I feel like he had kids. Oh, do you think he was just like raising his kids? Yeah, I think he had kids. It's great. It's great. I um, look at it. It really occupies a lot of your time. Chris, it's been 30 years since this movie came out. Um. What do you think? You know, I was thinking out? about this, Ricky. I don't have a good answer for this one. I mean, in a certain sense, I feel, you know, hey, look, I have my criticisms of this movie, but it was pretty timeless in a certain way. It's a movie from 1990, set yeah, in the I 70s, and also slightly earlier in the 70s. And it's just kind of, I didn't find anything in it particularly like objectionable or didn't like stand out as being like yeah. out of step with current day. It just felt, I mean, you would, if you had told me this was a movie from the 70s, you would almost believe it, right? You know? So I didn't, yeah. 
Yeah, I com- I completely agree. It does the movie does feel kind of timeless and there isn't really anything about it that feels particularly I mean like almost every movie that we've watched so far has felt outrageously right, yeah. misogynist without realizing it. Uh where this doesn't really This movie feel has like more complex all, female characters than actors. fucking Henry and June, you know? Like Yeah. Yeah. Um and I think uh yeah, I mean I I can't think of I, I aesthetically there's some stuff that I feel like it's grown out of like the the Adrian Lin's movies have a very uh, at this time have a very look a little like Tony oh, Scott yeah. movies to me at this time like like in what and way I feel like, like what that do you mean? just sort of the, the the like soaked streets the billowing smoke in the background the widescreen um shots of the uh, of empty of empty streets and like sort of uh when it's daylight just like in, in a crazy amount of light yeah. pouring into the 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 apartments you know like almost like washing it out completely um that feels very particular to the style of um tony scott and adrian lynn at this particular time they kind of mastered it so that to me feels about right and i don't think anyone can recreate that anymore because i don't think anybody honestly has the money to do that on a movie anymore. and not more, this kind of movie on certainly film. this kind of so, like no uh god if this movie got remade now i mean did, i think it did actually yeah. sorry it just it did get it, it just got remade i haven't seen it but i imagine the remake takes place in like two locations Um, I, I would say, yeah, I would say the aesthetic, I just don't think it's reproducible. Uh, I think the closest that anyone would be able to get to make remaking this movie would be either like a Netflix movie or like a very cheap Blumhouse version of this movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A cheap, yeah. Like a Blumhouse version I could see also. Right. Yeah. Like the, yeah, worry. Like you're saying, it takes place in two locations. Like in, in, the, in the way of like the Invisible Man, right? The the Elizabeth Moss movie that Lee Whannell directed. Mm-hmm. Did you see that movie? I didn't see it. No, I didn't see it. Uh, I want. I want. I don't know why we didn't see it. That's like when coronavirus was starting. I think I was like distracted. Um, it's very good. It's very well done. It's a movie that owes a lot to Paul Verhoeven, but at the same time you're kind of like, oh, but Paul Verhoeven had so much more to work with, had so much more like myth he could play with because he had more money and he had more time and they had, they could, they could, they could be just like a little more subtle. Whereas like with the invisible woman, it's fun. It's well-made, but everything is on the nose is, is as on the nose as humanly possible. <laughs> is it really? Oh yeah. I would not have expected that. Yeah. Everything is as on the nose. It's in as heavy handed as possible. Like to make sure that, you get like there's very little complexity it but it's fun and well made and and you know and i mean the the from a budget standpoint the best part of having your monster be invisible is that it's fucking invisible <laughs> you just got elizabeth moss yelling into the fucking void you know you know it, it's also kind of like get like like get out right like get out is great but i it's it, it's get out's not particularly complex i mean it's not the point of the movie and it has a greater service than being complex. But when you watch a Paul Verhoeven movie from the nineties, you know, Starship Troopers is a, is like basically a sci-fi adventure film from the perspective of fascists. Like that, <laughs> that's, inc- that's incredible. Yes. Yeah. It um, is. Yeah. And it's easy to miss that, you know, like, this Ro- is like a fun movie. You know, Robocop is about 
artificial intelligence taking over human morality and American military, like militaristic American corporations dominating <coughs> and destroying American cities. Those movies are like much more complex. And I think Jacob's Ladder kind of falls into that category. And I don't think there's any space for that kind of complexity yeah. at this budget range in movies right this now. Budget. Well, yeah, I don't think that this budget, this movie would be in the budget range that it is in here, right? Yeah. Like, today. I mean, right, that's what we're saying. Yeah, no, dev never, never in a million years. Jacob's, um, Jacob's Ladder, classic? I think so. I think it was really good. It's a classic. Yeah, I can't wait to show my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> show it to her when she's too too young to watch it. That's the best time to show them horror movies. I want her to be haunted by it forever. Yeah. <laughs>